Reminiscences of Margaret Fuller by Ralph Waldo Emerson from Memoirs of Margaret Fuller Osoli. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reminiscences of Margaret Fuller she was an active inspiring companion and correspondent and all the art the thought and the nobleness in new england seemed at that moment related to her and she to it she was everywhere a welcome guest the houses of her friends in town and country were open to her and every hospitable attention eagerly offered her arrival was a holiday and so was her abode she stayed a few days often a week more seldom a month and all tasks that could be suspended were put aside to catch the favorable hour in walking riding or boating to talk with this joyful guest who brought wit anecdotes love stories tragedies oracles with her and with her broad web of relations to so many fine friends seemed like the queen of some parliament of love who carried the key to all confidences and to whom every question had been finally referred persons were her game specially if marked by fortune or character or success to such was she sent she addressed them with a hardihood almost a haughty assurance queen-like indeed they fell in her way where the access might have seemed difficult by wonderful casualties and the inveterate recluse the coyest maid the waywardest poet made no resistance but yielded at discretion as if they had been waiting for her all doors to this imperious dame she disarmed the suspicion of recluse scholars by the absence of bookishness the ease with which she entered into conversation made them forget all they had heard of her and she was infinitely less interested in literature than in life they saw she valued earnest persons and dante petrarch and goethe because they thought as she did and gratified her with high portraits which she was everywhere seeking she drew her companions to surprising confessions she was the wedding guest to whom the long-pent story must be told and they were not less struck on reflection at the suddenness of the friendship which had established in one day new and permanent covenants she extorted the secret of life which cannot be told without setting heart and mind in a glow and thus had the best of those she saw whatever romance whatever virtue whatever impressive experience this came to her and she lived in a superior circle for they suppressed all their commonplace in her presence she was perfectly true to this confidence she never confounded relations but kept a hundred fine threads in her hand without crossing or entangling any an entire intimacy which seemed to make both sharers of the whole horizon of each other's and of all truth 
did not yet make her false to any other friend, gave no title to the history that an equal trust of another friend had put in her keeping. In this reticence was no prudery and no effort, for so rich her mind that she never was tempted to treachery by the desire of entertaining. The day was never long enough to exhaust her opulent memory, and I, who knew her intimately for ten years, from July 1836 till August 1846, when she sailed for Europe, never saw her without surprise at her new powers. Of the conversations above alluded to, the substance was whatever was suggested by her passionate wish for equal companions to the end of making life altogether noble. With the firmest tact, she led the discourse into the midst of their daily living and working, recognizing the goodwill and sincerity which each man has in his aims, and treating so playfully and intellectually all the points that one seemed to see his life in bow, and was flattered by beholding what he had found so tedious in his workday weeds, shining in glorious costume. Each of his friends passed before him in the new light. Hope seemed to spring under his feet, and life was worth living. The auditor jumped for joy, and thirsted for unlimited draughts. What? Is this the dame who I heard was sneering and critical? This the blue stocking of whom I stood in terror and dislike? This wondrous woman, full of counsel, full of tenderness, before whom every mean thing is ashamed and hides itself, this new Corinne, more variously gifted, wise, supportive, eloquent, who seems to have learned all languages, heaven knows when or how, I should think she was born to them, magnificent, prophetic, reading my life at her will, and puzzling me with riddles like this. Yours is an example of a destiny springing from character. And again, I see your destiny hovering before you, but it always escapes from you. The test of this eloquence was its range. It told on children and on old people, on men of the world and on sainted maids. She could hold them all by her honeyed tongue. A lady of the best eminence, whom Margaret occasionally visited in one of our cities of spindles, speaking one day of her neighbors, said, I stand in a certain awe of the moneyed men, the manufacturers, and so on, knowing that they will have small interest in Plato or in Biot. But I saw them approach Margaret with perfect security, for she could give them bread that they could eat. Some persons are thrown off their balance when in society. Others are thrown on to balance. The excitement of company and the observation of other characters correct their biases. Margaret always appeared to unexpected advantage in conversation with a large circle. She had more sanity than any other, whilst in private her vision was often through colored lenses. 
her talents were so various and her conversation so rich and entertaining that one might talk with her many times by the parlor fire before he discovered the strength which served as foundation to so much accomplishment and eloquence but concealed under flowers and music was the broadest good sense very well able to dispose of all this pile of native and foreign ornaments and quite able to work without them she could always rally on this in every circumstance and in every company and find herself on a firm footing of equality with any party whatever and make herself useful and if need be formidable the old anaximenes seeking i suppose for a source sufficiently diffusive said that mind must be in the air which when all men breathed they were filled with one intelligence and when men have larger measures of reason as aesop cervantes franklin scott they gain in universality or are no longer confined to a few associates but are good company for all persons philosophers women men of fashion tradesmen and servants indeed an older philosopher than anaximenes namely language itself had taught to distinguish superior or purer sense as common sense margaret had with certain limitations or must we say strictures these larger lungs inhaling this universal element and could speak to jew and greek free and bond to each in his own tongue the concord stage coachman distinguished her by his respect and the chambermaid was pretty sure to confide to her on the second day her homely romance i regret that it is not in my power to give any true report of margaret's conversation she soon became an established friend and frequent inmate of our house and continued thenceforward for years to come once in three or four months to spend a week or a fortnight with us she adopted all the people and all the interests she found here your people shall be my people and yonder darling boy i shall cherish as my own her ready sympathies endeared her to my wife and my mother each of whom highly esteemed her good sense and sincerity she suited each and all yet she was not a person to be suspected of complacence and her attachments one might say were chemical she had so many tasks of her own that she was a very easy guest to entertain as she could be left to herself day after day without apology according to our usual habit we seldom met in the forenoon after dinner we read something together or walked or rode in the evening she came to the library and many and many a conversation was there held whose details if they could be preserved would justify all encomiums they interested me in every manner talent memory wit stern introspection poetic play 
religion, the finest personal feeling, the aspects of the future, each followed each in full activity, and left me, I remember, enriched and sometimes astonished by the gifts of my guest. Her topics were numerous, but the cardinal points of poetry, love, and religion were never far off. She was a student of art, and though untraveled, knew much better than most persons who had been abroad the conventional reputation of each of the masters. She was familiar with all the field of elegant criticism in literature. Among the problems of the day, these two attracted her chiefly, mythology and demonology. Then also French socialism, especially as it concerned woman, the whole prolific family of reforms, and, of course, the genius and career of each remarkable person. She had other friends in this town, beside those in my house. A lady already alluded to lived in the village, who had known her longer than I, and whose prejudices Margaret had resolutely fought down until she converted her into the firmest and most efficient of friends. In 1842, Nathaniel Hawthorne, already then known to the world by his twice-told tales, came to live in Concord, in the old manse, with his wife, who was herself an artist. With these welcomed persons, Margaret formed a strict and happy acquaintance. She liked their old house, and the taste which had filled it with new articles of beautiful form, yet harmonized with the antique furniture left by the former proprietors. She liked, too, the pleasing walks and rides and boatings which that neighborhood commanded. In 1842, William Ellery Channing, whose wife was her sister, built a house in Concord, and this circumstance made a new tie and another home for Margaret. Arcana it was soon evident that there was somewhat a little pagan about her, that she had some faith more or less distinct in a fate and in a guardian genius, that her fancy or her pride had played with her religion. She had a taste for gems, ciphers, talismans, omens, coincidences, and birthdays. She had a special love for the planet Jupiter, any belief that the month of September was inauspicious to her. She never forgot that her name, Margarita, signified a pearl. When I first met with the name Leela, she said, I knew from the very look and sound it was mine. I knew that it meant night, night which brings out stars as sorrow brings out truths. Sortilage she valued. She tried Sortes Biblica, and her hits were memorable. I think each new book which interested her she was disposed to put to this test, and know if it had somewhat personal to say to her. As happens to such persons, these guesses were justified by the event. She chose Carbuncle for her own stone and when a dear friend was to give her a gem, this was the one selected. 
she valued what she had somewhere read that carbuncles are male and female the female casts out light the male has his within himself mine she said is the male and she was wont to put on her carbuncle a bracelet or some selected gem to write letters to certain friends one of her friends she coupled with the onyx another in a decided way with the amethyst she learned that the ancients esteemed this gem a talisman to dispel intoxication to give good thoughts and understanding the greek meaning is antidote against drunkenness she characterized her friends by these stones and wrote to the last mentioned the following lines to dash slow wandering on a tangled way to their lost child pure spirits say the diamond marshal thee by day by night the carbuncle defend heart's blood of a bosom friend on thy brow the amethyst violet of purest earth when by fullest sunlight kissed best reveals its regal birth and when that hallowed moment flies shall keep thee steadfast chaste and wise coincidences good and bad contretemps seals ciphers mottoes omens anniversaries names dreams are all of a certain importance to her her letters are often dated on some marked anniversary of her own or of her correspondent's calendar she signalized saints days all souls and all saints by poems which had for her a mystical value she remarked a pre-established harmony of the names of her personal friends as well as of her historical favorites that of emmanuel for swedenborg and rosencrantz for the head of the rosicrucians if christian rosencrantz she said is not a maid name the genius of the age interfered in the baptismal rite as in the cases of the archangels of art michael and raphael and in giving the name of emmanuel to the captain of the new jerusalem sub rosa crux i think is the true derivation and not the chemical one generation corruption etc in this spirit she soon surrounded herself with a little mythology of her own she had a series of anniversaries which she kept her seal ring of the flying mercury had its legend she chose the system for her emblem and had it carefully drawn with a view to its being engraved on a gem and i know not how many verses and legends came recommended to her by this symbolism her dreams of course partook of this symmetry the same dream returns to her periodically annually and punctual to its night one dream she marks in her journal as repeated for the fourth time in c i at last distinctly recognized the figure of the early vision whom i found after i had left a who led me 
on the bridge towards the city glittering in sunset but midway the bridge went under water i have often seen in her face that it was she but refused to believe it she valued of course the significance of flowers and chose emblems for her friends from her garden to dash with heart's ease content in purple luster clad kingly serene and golden glad no demi-hues of sad contrition no pallors of enforced submission give me such content as this and keep a while the rosy bliss demonology this catching at straws of coincidence where all is geometrical seems the necessity of certain natures it is true that in every good work the particulars are right and that every spot of light on the ground under the trees is a perfect image of the sun yet for astronomical purposes an observatory is better than an orchard and in a universe which is nothing but generations or an unbroken suite of cause and effect to infer providence because a man happens to find a shilling on the pavement just when he wants one to spend is puerile and much as if each of us should date his letters and notes of hand from his own birthday instead of from christ's or the king's reign or the current congress these to be sure are also at first petty and private beginnings but by the world of men clothed with a social and comical character it will be seen however that this propensity margaret held with certain tenets of fate which always swayed her and which goethe who had found room and fine names for all this in his system had encouraged and i may add which her own experiences early and late seemed strangely to justify some extracts from her letters to different persons will show how this matter lay in her mind to ralph waldo emerson december twelfth eighteen forty three when goethe received a letter from zelter with a handsome superscription he said lay that aside it is zelter's true handwriting every man has a demon who is busy to confuse and limit his life no way is the action of this power more clearly shown than in the handwriting on this occasion the evil influences have been evaded the mood the hand the pen and paper have conspired to let our friend write truly himself you may perceive i quote from memory as the sentences are anything but gertian but i think often of this little passage with me for weeks and months the demon works his will nothing succeeds with me i fall ill or am otherwise interrupted at these times whether of frost or sultry weather i would gladly neither plant nor reap wait for the better times which sometimes come when i forget that sickness is ever possible 
when all interruptions are upborne like straws on the full stream of my life and the words that accompany it are as much in harmony as sedges murmuring near the bank not all yet not unlike but it often happens that something presents itself and must be done in the bad time nothing presents itself in the good so i like the others seem worse and poorer than i am in another letter to an earlier friend she expiates a little as to the demonical i know not that i can say to you anything more precise than you find from goethe there are no precise terms for such thoughts the word instinctive indicates their existence i intimated it in the little piece on the drachenfels it may be best understood perhaps by a symbol as the sun shines from the serene heavens dispelling noxious exhalations and calling forth exquisite thoughts on the surface of earth in the shape of shrub or flower so gnome-like works the fire within the hidden caverns and secret veins of earth fashioning existences which have a longer share in time perhaps because they are not immortal in thought love beauty wisdom goodness are intelligent but this power moves only to seize its prey it is not necessarily either malignant or the reverse but it has no scope beyond demonstrating its existence when conscious self-asserting it becomes as power working for its own sake unwilling to acknowledge love for its superior must the devil that is the legend of lucifer the star that would not own its centre yet while it is unconscious it is not devilish only demonic in nature we trace it in all volcanic workings in a boding position of lights in whispers of the wind which has no pedigree in deceitful invitations of the water in the sullen rock which never shall find a voice and in the shapes of all those beings who go about seeking what they may devour we speak of a mystery a dread we shudder but we approach still nearer and a part of our nature listens sometimes answers to this influence which if not indestructible is at least indissolubly linked with the existence of matter in genius and in character it works as you say instinctively it refuses to be analyzed by the understanding and is most of all inaccessible to the person who possesses it we can only say i have it he has it you have seen it often in the eyes of those italian faces you like it is most obvious in the eye as we look on such eyes we think on the tiger the serpent beings who lurk glide fascinate mysteriously control for it is occult by its nature and if it could meet you on the highway and be familiarly known as an acquaintance could not exist the angels of light do not love yet they do not insist on exterminating it it has given rise to the fables of wizard 
enchantress and the like these beings are scarcely good yet not necessarily bad power tempts them they draw their skills from the dead because their being is coeval with that of matter and matter is the mother of death in later days she allowed herself sometimes to dwell sadly on the resistances which she called her fate and remarked that all life that has been or could be natural to me is invariably denied she wrote long afterwards my days at milan were not unmarked i have known some happy hours but they all led to sorrow and not only the cups of wine but of milk seemed drugged with poison for me it does not seem to be my fault this destiny i do not court these things they come i am a poor magnet with power to be wounded by the bodies i attract temperament i said that margaret had a broad good sense which brought her near to all people i am to say that she had also a strong temperament which is that counter-force which makes individuality by driving all the powers in the direction of the ruling thought or feeling and when it is allowed full sway isolating them these two tendencies were always invading each other and now one and now the other carried the day this alternation perplexes the biographer as it did the observer we contradict on the second page what we affirm on the first and i remember how often i was compelled to correct my impressions of her character when living for after i had settled it once for all that she wanted this or that perception at our next interview she would say with emphasis the very word i think in her case there was something abnormal in those obscure habits and necessities which we denote by the word temperament in the first days of our acquaintance i felt her to be a foreigner that with her one would always be sensible of some barrier as if in making up a friendship with a cultivated spaniard or turk she had a strong constitution and of course its reactions were strong and this is the reason why in all her life she has so much to say of her fate she was in jubilant spirits in the morning and ended the day with nervous headache whose spasms my wife told me produced total prostration she had great energy of speech and action and seemed formed for high emergencies her life concentrated itself on certain happy days happy hours happy moments the rest was a void she had read that a man of letters must lose many days to work well in one much more must a sappho or a sibyl the capacity of pleasure was balanced by the capacity of pain if i had whist she writes i am a worse self-tormentor than rousseau and all my riches are fuel to the fire my beautiful lore like the tropic clime hatches scorpions to sting me
There is a verse which Annie of Lochroyan sings about her ring that torments my memory. Tis so true of myself. When I found she lived at a rate so much faster than mine, and which was violent compared with mine, I foreboded rash and painful crises, and had a feeling as if a voice cried, Stand from under, as if a little further on this destiny was threatened with jars and reverses, which no friendship could avert or console. This feeling partly wore off on better acquaintance, but remained latent, and I had always an impression that her energy was too much a force of blood, and therefore never felt the security for her peace which belongs to more purely intellectual natures. She seemed more vulnerable. For the same reason she remained inscrutable to me. Her strength was not my strength. Her powers were a surprise. She passed into new states of great advance, but I understood these no better. It were long to tell her peculiarities. Her childhood was full of presentiments. She was then a somnambulist. She was subject to attacks of delirium, and later perceived that she had spectral illusions. When she was twelve, she had a determination of blood to the head. My parents, she said, were much mortified to see the fineness of my complexion destroyed. My own vanity was, for a time, severely wounded. But I recovered and made up my mind to be bright and ugly. She was all her lifetime the victim of disease and pain. She read and wrote in bed, and believed that she could understand anything better when she was ill. Pain acted like a girdle to give tension to her powers. A lady who was with her one day during a terrible attack of nervous headache, which made Margaret totally helpless, assured me that Margaret was yet in the finest vein of humor, and kept those who were assisting her in a strange, painful excitement between laughing and crying by perpetual brilliant sallies. There were other peculiarities of habit and power. When she turned her head on one side, she alleged she had second sight, like St. Francis. These traits or predispositions made her a willing listener to all the uncertain science of mesmerism and its goblin brood, which had been rife in recent years. She had a feeling that she ought to have been a man, and said of herself, A man's ambition with a woman's heart is an evil lot. In some verses which she wrote, to the moon, occur these lines. But if I steadfast gaze upon thy face, a human secret like my own I trace, for through the woman's smile looks the male eye. And she found something of true portraiture in a disagreeable novel of Balzac's Le Livre Mystique, in which an equivocal figure exerts alternately a masculine 
and a feminine influence on the characters of the plot. End of Reminiscences of Margaret Fuller by Ralph Waldo Emerson Read for LibriVox by Sue Anderson